I'm Chelsea Fairless, and welcome to this week's Every Outfit, which is a little bit different. I mean, it's going to be a little bit chaotic because Lauren and I were just doing some research for this episode at the hottest restaurant in LA, Saddle Ranch. Yes, we thought we would go to Saddle Ranch to get in the mood because we're talking about the Los Angeles episodes of Sex in the City. For a while, we've wanted to do episodes that were more topical, but now we kind of have to do them out of necessity because we have personal lives. We're going out of town. I'm heading up north with the, the dog and the wife, going to see my parents, and yeah. So anyway, we'll be back <laughs> next week. <laughs> Chelsea will tell you all about her adventures in Humboldt. Oh, Yeah. So let's get into this. It is season three, episode 13, Escape from New York. I love this one sentence description from HBO Max. Carrie, Miranda, and Samantha are fish out of water and youth obsessed, no smoking anywhere, Los Angeles. Can we just start with that, which is... (laughs) What, the misconceptions that you can't smoke here? Yeah, people smoke all the time. People smoke everywhere. If anything, people in New York are more weird about smoking. I guess no one really smokes now because everyone vapes. Yeah, do you like see people vaping in their cars? Because I do. Not like normal vape pens, not like Jules, like those crazy ones. Oh, the ones that the actor Tom Hardy smokes, which has its own like fuselage next to it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. With the button. That's very L.A. For those who don't know where we are in the series, the previous episode, Charlotte has gotten married and Carrie confesses her affair with Big to Aiden and he breaks up with her. Do you think that Aiden actually gave Trey and Charlotte that table with the bench with the wood and the wood makes the other wood stronger? And the flaws. Yeah. (laughs) You see this piece? This big old flaw right here? It's not a flaw, really. It's just... Just the way the wood is, I think it's interesting. So flaws can be good. Flaws are the best part. What happened with that? I want some follow-up. Charlotte's like, I don't want this ugly-ass bench in my house. It doesn't go with their decor. It doesn't. If he did deliver it, Bunny walked in and was like, absolutely not. So yes, they're going to LA because a production company who's thinking of optioning Carrie's uh, scripts are flying her and two friends out, which is would never happen. No, there's no truth to this art. <laughs> so I, In your dealings with Hollywood, has anything remotely happened? It's like, no, you fly yourself out and you get a water bottle, maybe. <laughs> When you're in that meeting, they're like, do you want water? And they give you a Oh, yeah, the water bottles are plentiful in this town. (laughs) There's no shortage of that shit. So Carrie, Miranda, and Samantha head to Los Angeles. Charlotte stays behind with her impotent husband who... He's not impotent. He's gorgeous. (laughs) So, yes, they they go to L.A. and stay at our favorite, R.I.P., the Standard Hotel in West Hollywood. I know. It's really sad that that's closed. That's a iconic Los Angeles hotel that tragically fell victim to the pandemic. 
even though every other standard property has remained intact. And this was actually the first one that opened in 1999, mm-hmm. opened by Andre Belaz. With the um, help from celebrity pals Leonardo DiCaprio, Cameron Diaz, and Benicio Del Toro, according to this Vanity Fair article I found. Yeah, I mean, it was a real scene back in the day. I remember reading like some little front of book Vogue or Vanity Fair piece about it back in the day, you know, when I was in middle school. And then I was so excited to actually see it in the, episode because it's a very mid-century hotel and the decor is I guess the early 2000s late 90s version of mid-century right it's bubble chairs and shag carpets yeah the the interiors were created by set designer Sean Hausman who also co-founded the nightclub area in New York City oh that's cool he also did the Chateau Marmont which is across the street and also an Andre um Balazs joined yeah exactly although is it still I don't know there's chaotic things happening at the Chateau Marmont if you don't live in Los Angeles you don't know that employees from said hotel are protesting outside of it all the time yeah Andre Balaz sold the standard to an equity group in 2017 I believe he still maintains ownership of the Chateau Marmont which is another celebrity haunt very odd that they didn't go there in the LA episode but he's trying to turn it into a members only club I don't like this not at all where am I going to get my celeb spottings (laughs) Saddle Ranch. Oh my God. So in 2018, we did an event at the Standard Hotel, which was a Q&A with Kristen Davis, Jenny Bix, and Michael Patrick King. For those who don't know, Michael Patrick King was the showrunner for Sex in the City, wrote and directed both films. He's running and just like that. Jenny Bix is one of the OG writers. She wrote the second LA episode. Michael Patrick King co-wrote the first episode. She kind of wrote the best episodes, she, honestly. She absolutely did. Uh, but going back, how they got the idea to do an LA episode or what the vibe was going to be they walked into the standard which had opened the year before and famously the standard when you check in there is a glass box behind the people the front desk and there's always a person there usually like a hot guy or a hot girl in a bathing suit just hanging out so they check into the hotel it's a scene what and then they go out that night and what happens is well, this when Samantha meets the dildo model it is but they have the moment where they all walk out of the front of the standard Carrie's wearing the mismatched Louboutins which we did a post about a year or two ago that kind of went everywhere and so that Carrie can smoke and then she walks back in and yeah they go to the bar so Samantha meets this guy named Garth who is a dildo <laughs> model question is a dildo model is that a job because i was kind of under the impression that dildo models were adult film stars correct i I believe that's what it's supposed to be i think he's supposed to be a peter north type who also has a celebrity dildo signing right it's a very random name to be garth especially if you are a porn star and i think they only named him that for the girth pun right of course Carrie then talks to a junior development executive played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Well, this is funny, too, because there's a lot of celebrities in this episode and half of them are playing themselves and half of them are not playing themselves. So it's like kind of jarring in a weird way. It is, but Jenny Bix and Michael Patrick King told us that you would think it would be the reverse. You think that so many celebrities would be excited to be a version of themselves, but they don't. They want to play a character within this world. Sarah Michelle Gellar is trying to option Carrie's columns. Yes, and she says that an actor is very excited. And if you'll notice, the line is 80 yard because she puts her hand, Sarah Michelle Gellar, not Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, you'll notice that. Yeah, so many three named um, blondes in this episode. 
uh, puts her hands around her mouth because it's an 80-yard line because they didn't have the actor yet who was going to play the celebrity interested in playing Mr. Big. And for those of you who don't know what ADR is... <laughs> Additional dialogue recording. So it was right. done after the fact. But it is indeed Matthew McConaughey. Lauren and I always wondered if her book had been optioned and had become a film in the early 2000s, who would be cast in said film. So we did an Instagram post about this a couple of years ago that was very divisive. I forget why. I mean, because people hated our casting choices. But I stand by them, which is... Well, when we were putting this together, it was who in the year 2000, who actually would have been cast? Not looking back in 2019, 2020, whatever it was of who in the year 2000. It was like, no, if this is the year 2000, who? Oh, yeah, this wasn't diverse casting. This is actually just how it would have been would have been cast in 2000. So we selected Natasha Lyonne as Carrie Bradshaw. Because, Which, perfect. Yes. I mean. Because she would have been coming off of American Pie. We had Katie Holmes as Charlotte York, because she was on Dawson's Creek at the time. Lauren Ambrose as Miranda Hobbs. Legit. It was either that or Allison Hannigan. I, my vote was for Allison Hannigan, but Lauren Ambrose is good. We we didn't have Allison Hannigan because then it would be too much American Pie people. And then I think this was the other divisive casting that people didn't agree with, which was Brittany Murphy as Samantha Jones. I think she would have been great. I also think people did not enjoy that we selected Christian Bale as Mr. Big, but you have to remember Christian Bale's oeuvre pre-Batman is very different. Yeah, it's like, true. He did very hooey roles. This is also the same year that he would have done American Psycho. So perfect, Mr. Big. Yeah. Keith Ledger is Aiden Shaw. I mean, that's a glow up for Aiden. Like, love that for him. Kerr Smith is Trey McDougal. Kerr Smith from Dawson's Creek. And then I think I, I'm the one who came up with the Steve Brady casting. And I think we screamed when I said Giovanni Rabisi <laughs> as Steve Brady. Miranda. <laughs> Sorry. I just like imagining him say that. Oh, so perfect. Joshua Jackson as Stanford Blanche. Yep, legit. Again, typecast after Cruel Intentions. Yeah, we do use the Cruel Intentions image. Andrew Keegan as Anthony Marantino. Again, a glow up for him. I love the idea of that. Plus, like, I feel like all he did was wear, like, tight black t-shirts anyway. Call back to 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Speaking of American Pie casting, I think this is why we didn't put Allison Hannigan in, because we chose Jason Biggs as Skipper. Okay, yeah. I mean, but who else are you going to cast? And then Selma Blair as Natasha Nijinsky. That's a good contrast with Natasha Leone, I think. Well, this also gets into the episode begins with a voiceover that you imagine is Carrie's column where she does reference sleeping with her ex-boyfriend, which she then confessed to her current boyfriend who then broke up with her. We've always wondered how much of Carrie's voiceover is in the article? How much of Carrie's life are in her columns that were being optioned? Like, is the big affair in it? Well, is she talking about Trey's ED issues? Is she using his first and last name? <laughs> What's happening with that? I don't know. Bunny seems like a fairly litigious person so I think <laughs> see that's the sex in the city film I would want which is more of a movie of the week lifetime thing where Miranda has to represent Carrie in a slander lawsuit against Bunny McDougal love that Bunny versus Bradshaw you know Bunny's still kicking she could pop back up and in just like that didn't that actress die no she's alive okay I think give it a google I was wrong. Francis Sternhagen Hagen is still alive. Yeah, see, told you. Still kicking. So Sarah Michelle Geller basically is like, Matthew McConaughey wants to play Mr. Big. And you have to go meet him at, at the Warner Brothers lot. 
So is that the next scene? No, it's a somehow they've gotten to the standard and the very next day they go to a car rental place to rent a, a Mustang, which is very of the moment. Like now I feel it's about vintage Mercedes, but I remember that moment in the late 90s, early 2000s where everyone had a mid 60s era Mustang. Like that was the cool vintage car to have. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that still holds up today. No, I just don't see them around anymore. So this is like a pretty unremarkable scene of Carrie, who can't drive a stick shift, renting this vintage car and then trying to drive it up the hill, up Sweetser, you know, by the hotel. Yeah, when we were doing the event at the Standard, Michael Patrick King told us about this insane incident that happened while shooting the scene. And the the and car broke. The, the Standard, it the broke. The Mustang. And we watched Cynthia, Kristen... No, Cynthia, Cynthia, uh, Kim, Kim and Sarah Jessica go out of control back down the hill and everybody just screamed. Did your life flash before your eyes? Their lives, our lives. And they had, we had decided not to put any cars on the hill behind them just as a thought. And then Sarah Jessica spun that car around and stopped and then it became a defining moment. Sarah Jessica got carried away by her bodyguard. Kim came out like Blanche Dubois, had a hat, she started fainting, and Cynthia folded the map she was carrying, put it under her arm, and walked away. And then, yeah, we get we go into the Carrie meeting with Matthew McConaughey and the Warner Brothers plot. This is some of his finest work, honestly. You did a post saying that this was Matthew McConaughey's Me Too moment. I mean, it is a Me Too moment. Basically, actually, we should just drop in the audio of his monologue, right? It's so iconic. Let's do it. Actually, he had some, you know, commitment issues. That's bullshit, Gary! You know it! Kidding. I'm acting. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do. You know what else? I really want to fuck you, baby. Are you acting now? We are animals. Man, woman, walking the earth. We're made of head, heart, and loins. We're talking about using them. Am I right? Well, uh, I have a facial at four. Then I love you. I don't understand why we can't be together. Do you mind if I smoke? I don't think you should smoke, Carrie. What? In the movie, I don't think Carrie should smoke. Oh, that's all right. Or, Or my office, okay? So as you might have guessed, that was completely improved. Yeah. By McConaughey. Yeah, Michael Patrick King gave us some tea about this as well. He came on the set and I looked at him and I went to the hair and makeup people and I said, that's way too much makeup. It's ridiculous. He looks like a woman. Bring it down. And they looked at me and said, he's not wearing any. (laughs) That's how gorgeous he was. And then he improvised... Because he said, I just want to get up in this and get in this thing and move it around and feel like I'm Mr. Big and carry. And he started, I said, whatever you want to say. And he started going, get down in the primordial ooze, me and Mr. Big. And I said to Sarah Jessica, just keep going. When I was rewatching this scene, I was like, they're both so tan with such curly blonde hair. They look like little cherubs together. But psychotic cherubs. Yeah, I mean, this was one of Carrie's many, I guess, Me Too moments within the series. 
he is saying he wants to fuck her, coming on to her, whatever. She's being very polite, making excuses, saying that she has a facial to get to, you know, as as how women often react to these situations. And it's just crazy because now this would have gone a completely different way. Right. I mean, he's hiding behind the method acting thing of, yeah. of I'm pretending to be Mr. Big. But I feel like if this was done today, Carrie would have written an essay about it for the New Yorker and canceled Matthew McConaughey. You don't know that that isn't going to happen and, and just like <laughs> There's that. There's still time. Would you lose it if after we posted this, there was a New York Post exclusive that Matthew McConaughey's back as himself and, and just like that? I hope so. I, I mean, we only have, we only know about Sarah Ramirez joining the project. I want some other random celebs. As I've said, I just want Justin Thoreau back, but as a totally different character. Yeah. And then it goes to the Hustler store scene, which... The Hustler store doesn't even exist anymore. Well, it does. It's right by my house, but it's not in that same location. You know what was really sad? On Valentine's Day, there was like a line outside of it because it opens at 10, but it was like a socially distanced line of the saddest looking people on Sunset Boulevard waiting to get in. Well, I guess that's my question is, are there dildo signings? Like, yeah, I think so. Okay. I think that's legit. I don't know. I've never been to a dildo signing, but there's still time. If anyone wants to invite us to one, we'll be there. What happens? Samantha fucks the dildo guy. Yes, and he turns out to be a poet, which is not her vibe. And then he says he's going to move to New York so that he can combine his two loves of porn and poetry. Do you think Garth was the type of guy, like a Sasha Gray, who wanted to make porn into art? He's like, this can be so much more, man. Oh, God, I hope not. People fucking over his poetry readings? I actually like the scene the next day more when they bring the dildos to To brunch. brunch. It's, and then Miranda's like, who's this for? The only woman, the average woman is uh, five inches deep. I'm like, is that true? That is true. Really? Mm-hmm. I, don't f- I feel like that's not true. Oh, okay. Changing the subject. And then we get into what I think is my favorite scene of the episode, only because it raises a wonderful question about Carrie's expertise as a quote-unquote sexpert, which is... This is when she's on the balcony in the in the red overalls and Charlotte calls. And she gives Charlotte this truly brilliant advice. You put a ring of paper around his flaccid penis while he's asleep. Jesus, I sound like a perverted Nancy Drew. What does that do? Well, if it rips during the night, that means he's capable of an erection and the problem is not physical. Is that even true? It's not a thing. Okay, these stamps are not ironclad. It's like I go to sleep in a pair of pajamas and it's twisted up, it's <laughs> fucked up. I've given myself some well, kind of tourniquet on my leg just from motion during the night. Okay, there's so many things. One, she had to wait for Trey to go to sleep, shimmy his pants down, pull his dick out. Pull his flaccid dick out. Or and then pull his put flaccid some... <laughs> dick out through the hole. And then put these forever stamps around his dick. First of all, if you did that, you wouldn't put his dick back in the pants. You'd just be like, okay, I'll wait till the morning. Actually, this is the real Me Too moment of the, <laughs> the show. Yeah, she did that non-consensually. Like, I don't think you're allowed to do that. And I guess the idea is that if he's able to, if he has a nocturnal emission, I guess, if he achieves an erection in the night, it would break apart the stamps. Or if he just like rolls over. (laughs) There is that. Yeah, I really don't understand this, but I love that this is when she comes through with the most highly specific advice in a way that like Carrie hasn't really, despite being a sex columnist, hasn't really been that useful to her friends with their various problems and such. 
she has back-to-back amazing on-the-fly advice because the previous episode when Charlotte's about to get married and she's literally going to walk down the aisle and goes back to Carrie and goes, I went over last night and you couldn't get it up. And Carrie goes, maybe he jerked off and was too embarrassed to tell you. (laughs) That was iconic. She really came through with that. Even I was like, ooh, yeah, maybe he did. Great going, Carrie. Yeah, I know. I kind of believe you. The episode culminates at Saddle Ranch. So Saddle Ranch, where we were just a a mere hour ago. Saddle Ranch is a tourist trap, Western-themed Tex-Mex emporium on Sunset Boulevard. It is famous for a, a mechanical bull. Because of the pandemic, they still do not have indoor seating. Unfortunately, we were not able to ride the bull, but... And you probably have heard of it now because over the summer during COVID, when they did outdoor dining, it became a hotspot for Gen Z and TikTokers. Which is like so crazy because it's fun, but it's a pretty embarrassing restaurant. It should never be the hottest spot in town. That's like crazy. And we were trying to figure out like, why why are all these young kids going? And we've now realized it's because they don't really card. Yeah, not to be narcs, but yeah, no one narc on Saddle Ranch. I want underage kids to go and go and get their drinks and do their thing, but get get their cotton candy martini or whatever that drink was. It's a combination of the fact that they don't card and that a lot of TikTok houses are in the Hollywood Hills, which is right above Saddle Ranch. So it's a convenient place to go. Yeah, you don't go for food. I mean, unless you're us and love trashy food. I'll just say, like, do not get the eggs Benedict. I don't know what (laughs) I was thinking with that. But then the best part was, like, I order the eggs Benedict, and she's like, "Um," because normally it's like, would you like a salad or hash browns? This, it's like, would you like hash browns or tater tots? And then you were like, tater tots, because when are those offered? And she was like, great, do you want fully loaded tater tots? And we were like, what's that? And she was like, oh, with cheese and bacon and chives. And I'm like, sure, fuck it. I'm here. Why not? But yeah, they're really good at upselling you things at Saddle Ranch. Yeah, what they don't capture in the episode, which I don't know, maybe this happened afterwards, but in our time pre-COVID when you could sit in, sit inside, there's just a waitress who comes around as if she knows you and she's like, hi, bestie. I think it would be really <laughs> cool if you went on the mechanical bull. Here's a sign-up sheet. And you're like, no. And she's like, I really think you should. And yeah. she won't leave. No, this bitch like fully peer pressures you. <laughs> I think your wife, I think we made, Tat was the sacrificial lamb who got on the mechanical bull. Oh, whatever. She like lives for that shit. (laughs) But I wanted to ask, it's like how many people got coronavirus from the mechanical bull in like that last week that restaurants were still open before the shutdown? Like, I don't even want to think about it. We did notice. So in the episode, everyone is, you know, Pat Field and her team kind of dresses everyone in, in Western theme, which in our experience isn't really true. Although when we went there today, everyone seemingly had so they either brought or purchased on site but i think brought uh pink hats yeah. like pink cowboy pink, hats. Like, fluffy feather trimmed cowboy hats i mean you came through with a cow print Back. a cow print purse <laughs> i appreciated that but yeah miranda's episode which we've neglected to talk about is basically she's invisible to to men in los angeles which is like same boo same well okay the thing is that oh everyone in la is hot blonde bimbos with fake tits so it's like weird for miranda because she doesn't really put her sexuality out there but i think this is like such a huge misconception about Los Angeles that everyone here is hot. I think it's the opposite. No one here is hot. Like people in New York are hot. People in Paris are hot. People in LA, no. 
It's a very specific version of hot, which is more the quote-unquote Instagram face hot. Well, everyone here has gotten a lot of face work so that they either look like Kim Kardashian or Chrissy Teigen or like some face morph of the two, and this includes men. That's not exactly hot, but it's also no one really dresses here. It's not really, it's not a super fashionable town. Well, what's interesting in the 20, 21 years that have transpired since that episode happened and now is a lot of, there has been a mass exodus of creatives out of New York into Los Angeles. So that is different, but in Los Yeah, the dynamics are changing, but still when you see someone with like, or sorry, the <laughs> the demographics are changing. But still, when you see someone here with like a come de garçon tote bag, you're like, wow. Whereas like in New York, that's everyone. That's like the intern at Printed Matter. It's everyone below 20th Street. It looks yeah. like that. If Sex and the City existed today and they were coming to Los Angeles, they would be, you know, there's a block here on Sycamore off of La Brea that literally is the one cool block that's not in downtown LA or Venice or something. And it's got GGs. It's got just one eye. Yeah, the- that's where they would film today, certainly. But yeah, it's not, there's not hot people here, so. If you you live in New York, you have low self-esteem, you want to move here, you're going to love it. It's not necessarily true. There's just a genre of person who's considered hot here that, you know, it's not our aesthetic, let's say. I don't, I don't know. know why I'm defending these people. Yeah, why are you defending these people? They're not hot, though. Like, no, have I, you ever been to Catch? It's fucked. No. <laughs> have you ever been to Craig's? No. Okay, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. I these do people know are what you're psychotic. talking about. Anyway, I see them walking on Runyon every day. It's interesting. There's a lot of quote unquote LA things that are just not done in this episode. Like they don't go to Barney's. Oh, that's yeah. the other thing. At the beginning of the episode, Carrie goes. Barney's was like the most sort of major thing that this town had to offer in terms of retail. Which is crazy because I believe at the beginning of the episode, Carrie says to Charlotte that she has to go to Barney's because she can't possibly go to LA without another pair of shoes, which is like. Go to the one on Rodeo, bitch. Like. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, back to Saddle Ranch. Back to Saddle Ranch. So Miranda gets a little tipsy. She's feeling bold. She rips open her shirt. On the mechanical on, bull. While riding the mechanical bull, which I'm surpri- classic Miranda. Yeah, and I'm surprised Michael Patrick King didn't take the opportunity that once she rips the shirt off, she immediately gets bucked off the Bronco. Just the whole thing with no, the he mechanical gave her, bull. No, he gave her her moment. That was generous. <laughs> Do we want to crown the best outfit of the episode? I think it's Carrie in the white dress and the mismatched lubes, which we did a whole post on. But we don't know what that dress is. It's not no, l- we can't. We can't figure it out. It's not. We l- can't figure out what it is. If anyone knows, tell us. Yeah, it's not listed in the official Sex and the City book. It's not in any credits that we can find. I'm honestly trying to think because it's like the all the outfits in the second episode. I think are more remarkable. Mage. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Starting with going into the second episode, I believe the first scene of the second episode, Carrie in that like neon green Norma Kamali bathing suit looks incredible. Also, the very prominently featured white trash charms lightning necklace is worn throughout both episodes. Which I bought because white trash charms still exist and you can still get the original. Stop being classist, Lauren. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. And racist. Uh, Working class charms as they've now been renamed. (laughs) No, it's still called White Trash Charms. Carrie gets the Brazilian. That's how the episode begins. Okay, does anyone go on vacation without getting their situation taken care of, whether it's a spray tan? The other can- Yeah, you don't go to like a foreign city. And- <laughs> foreign city. <laughs> a foreign city and get your pussy waxed. You do it with the pussy waxer that you know. <laughs> or in our case, or anyone's case in 2020, 20- 21 it's like you don't 
get waxed, you get lasered. But at the time that this episode aired, the Brazilian wasn't even really a thing. I mean, it was a thing. It's been around forever, but it did make it more popular. Yeah, the other thing in rewatching these episodes I couldn't figure out is how long are they there? I thought a week, but it seems like they're actually there for two weeks. Yeah, it's like she had to get waxed more than once just to like keep up. The whole idea is that Carrie somehow feels emboldened because she has nothing there. And not to get into the nitty gritty of, of waxing, but the surprising part is that she just took the whatever landing strip she had on top off, right? Because everything yeah. else on the sides was taken out. I guess, but you know what would have been funnier if they did the thing <laughs> where it's like, oh, can you turn around now? <laughs> I don't know why no show has capitalized on like the true humiliation of when you get waxed or lasered. Chell, like, can you get on all fours? Well, Chell and I have this conversation all, all the time, which is what's less embarrassing, being asked to get on all floors or being asked to put your legs up and they treat you like you're a baby. Yeah, I don't know what's worse. Sorry, I'm like crying. I don't know what's worse. It's like, yeah, because when they do it from the side like that. Like, when you have to act like you're in a yoga class and they lift your your butt up and you have to put your hands on your back yeah. just to stay up while they're ripping hair out of your ass crack it's really fucked up oh, so, no it is so sorry funny. mom and dad who are listening to this <laughs> It is so funny. And you would think that it would get less embarrassing when you get laser, but it's not. It's, I mean, it's even more embarrassing because then you have to wear those like goggles when you're on all fours. Okay, I'm going to stop laughing now. Laser away, get at us. We'd be great spokesmen for you. Oh, I'd love to do spawn for laser away. So anyway, Miranda then goes off to meet Letterman Lou. Okay, Letterman Lou, I am obsessed with. Where's his spinoff? You know that the writing team had to have known a, a Letterman Lou. Yeah, yeah, that yeah has a thousand to be. percent. It's way too specific. Obviously, they're making fun of. So Letterman Lou is a guy that Miranda knew back in New York who wrote on Letterman and then moved out to Los Angeles to basically sell out, become a shill, and write one of those LA-based New York shows, which I think was supposed to be like Friends, basically. But also at the time, like no one remembers any of these shows but there was a whole thursday block where it was the single guy caroline in the city there were so many uh dharma and greg that was san francisco oh whatever but they also had an improbable loft that would never actually exist right okay because they move into dharma's loft and she doesn't do anything for a living didn't you see greg at jumbo's clown room i did I saw the actor Thomas Gibson at an iconic strip club that unfortunately was not in this episode of Sex and the City. Oh my god. Should we get into that if like if we did this LA episode of Sex and the City where we would have had them gone? Because it would have been Swingers. Yeah. Not to be confused with the film Swingers. Ironically, the film Swingers never shot in the diner location called Swingers. Swingers, but the film Romeo and Michelle did in fact uh, shoot, shoot in Swingers. swingers. Also uh, iconic Warhol wallpaper. That's true. At the standard, they pay. Maybe this is why they no longer exist. Is and well, the, we can't tell them how much they pay. But the standard has these vinyl flower print curtains that are a very famous Andy Warhol design, and they pay the Andy Warhol Foundation the most insane amount of money that you can imagine. For a hotel that hasn't redone their carpeting in literally 20 years. Oh, yeah. We should also explain up until the time that they closed, 
Truly, if you go back and watch this Sex and the City episode from the year 2000 to when it closed in 2020, they have not changed the decor at all. No, everything's everything's the same. I mean, they, they repaint the patio furniture, they reupholster the couches and stuff, but the standard uh, West Hollywood had all of those modular Togo couches that are now all over Instagram. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They were kind of like the original. Going back to Letterman, Lou, as as a former New Yorker who's moved to Los Angeles, do you also feel like you've gotten more zen? You've adopted a quote-unquote Los Angeles personality? Of course. I am not a bulimic, but... Well, we'll get into that later, exactly what his uh, disordered eating condition is. But the other thing in the 20 years since this episode has aired to now is I feel like a lot of quote-unquote LA behaviors are in New York drinking green juice and meditating and all of this stuff. I do feel like the discrepancy between these two cities is less and less. Well, because, yeah, now people actually care about, like, life-work balance and self-care, and that's just, you know, that's a thing now. Just everyone's uglier here, according to Yeah, you. and everyone's been eating plant-based here forever, you know. It's finally just now getting to the other coast. And then we get into the premiere, which Carrie and Samantha go to. But they don't see the movie. No one goes to the movie. Yes, I guess Carrie is using her press pass to get into the after party, which she is brutally rebuffed from by the actress that plays, what was it, the very Brady movie? Jan- <laughs> Wait, what? Jan? <laughs> she got rebuffed by Jan Brady? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice from- that. <laughs> That's- She's like, everyone goes to the movie. I mean, that was some good acting. Is that true, though? Yeah, I think that everyone does go to the movie, except for a lot of people. It's like they can't go to the movie because work runs late or they're late to the movie. You know, it's also wild in Los Angeles. They'll do a premiere usually at a movie theater. And then the after party will be somewhere where you have to like get in a car to go to a different location. And just I, I don't know. I think it fucks up the vibe. Um, so Carrie is standing to the edge of the red carpet, smoking, sulking, and she meets... they've given the car to the valet, because unlike me, she valeted. <laughs> she meets Vince Vaughn, who is not playing Vince Vaughn. He's playing Keith Traver, representing Matt Damon. Yeah, we, both of us watch these episodes and like have random notes in our phones, and we both wrote down representing, representing Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. It's the perfect nonsensical seems important. I will say that is, I don't know if New York is as deep with this as LA is. You're not exactly sure what they do, but they seem to have money. Usually the bullshit thing is I'm a producer. Maybe now it'd be like, hi, I'm Lauren Garoni representing Addison Ray. <laughs> but I'm totally. really Addison Ray's personal assistant. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So he gets them into the party. And inside the party, Samantha meets Hugh Hefner. And Carrie does this voiceover that's like, Samantha's been obsessed with Hugh ever since she stole her dad's Playboys. And I'm like, do straight girls really steal their dad's Playboys? Like, is that a thing? Asking you. (laughs) I'm questioning whether to tell this story. I mean, my dad didn't have Playboys for me to steal, unfortunately. So Yeah, and how do I explain that there were Playboys in my dad's office? Did you steal them, though? There was an incident when I was like five or six <laughs> where like I took one and I was like caught looking at one. But Well, looking at a 90s Playboy will make you straight. Like if you've... <laughs> Honestly. 
I think it's weirder that the voiceover isn't... Like, Samantha definitely sent Polaroids when she was in her 20s to Playboy. Yo, totally. Um, I, I believe that more than that Sex in the City 2 intro where Carrie's like, oh, I met Samantha when she was a bouncer at CBGB's? What? Yeah, yikes. That never happened. Oh, there's definitely a past life where Samantha worked at the Playboy Club in Chicago or something. Yeah. So Hef is with some twins, and he invites her to, I don't know, some Playboy Mansion party, right? Yeah, that was a whole thing. Whatever it is now, like Machine Gun Kelly going to a UFC fight or something. That Like the alpha male thing in the 90s and early 2000s was going to a Playboy Mansion party. Yeah. And it just looks gross as fuck. Tit soup. Anyway, Samantha is walking around shopping, which again, it's like in an insane Terry Mugler hat. This is what I've never understood is people who go from New York to L.A. to shop because it's pretty much all the same boutiques. And at the time, New York would have had better boutiques unless you're. No, I hard disagree. It's all about shopping in L.A. if you live in New York. Have you tried to shop in New York? Have you gone to Soho? It's terrible. Are you saying for, just for the walkability? Walkability, lines, people being around you, okay. ease, comfort. Basically, the scene with Samantha only really exists to to get to the fake Fendi of it all. Which is so weird because all throughout this season, they're all wearing Fendi baguettes and they all have multiple Fendi baguettes. When she pulls out the Fendi, they're like, oh my God, what was that? Like $5,000? It's like, yeah, bitch, like all of your clothes are $5,000. You don't have any bag that isn't $5,000. Yeah, when I was watching Samantha buy the fake Fendi, all I could think about was the fact that they make it a Los Angeles thing. The idea of fake bags when I associate that with Canal Street in New York. Totally. Like I've never seen anyone selling fake bags here. I mean, they are, but like in Santee Alley in downtown. Right. But they're acting as if they've never seen this before. Yeah. No, that is wild. Um, but yeah, Charlotte is is here. I think Charlotte arrives before Carrie goes to look at the $3 million house and she looks down at the pool. And if anyone has a Los Angeles personality, it's definitely Charlotte. Yeah. Well, she's come to LA because she's realized from the, from the stamp uh, debacle that... Trey, in fact, can get it up. Just not with her. Just not with her. So he, she's done with it. She's trying to get him to get some sort of dick implant thing, and he's not going for it. He's going to let, going on these like nighttime runs every night and being really emo. <laughs> <laughs> so she runs. Also, are we supposed to believe... I'm sorry, I know I'm going into to previous episodes, but the timeline of Charlotte and Trey's marriage is six weeks? Yeah. Okay. And she thinks she's entitled to that apartment? Like, girl. <laughs> That's been in the McDougal family for 10,000 years. Anyway, at the same time, Keith and Carrie go to look at Lorenzo Lamas's $3 million house, mm-hmm. which just to uh, do a Garoni real estate moment, that is actually a house that's in the hills of Studio City. Because every time I come down Laurel Canyon, I look up and I'm like, oh, it's the, it's the house Keith and Carrie go to. <laughs> Love that. Man, it also gave me unrealistic ideas about what dates in L.A. would be. Honestly, a lunch date and seeing a multi-million dollar home is my idea of a perfect date. I get along with Keith so well. Totally. Well, you love Vince Vaughn. I mean. I do. It's interesting in watching the episode back of like this specific era of Vince Vaughn because he, he, he didn't really do comedic Movies, yeah, he came he? he came to prominence obviously in Swingers, but he was just coming off of the Shot for Shot remake of Psycho. 
Right. Another potential Evryon Iconic and Heche performance. And then that insane film, The Cell, where Tara Subkoff gets <laughs> kidnapped and tortured. The most elaborate serial killer contraption where he's slowly drowning her. Anyway, another potential every outfit on special episode, The Cell. But Carrie then blames the Brazilian as to why she decided to kiss Keith. It's like, isn't the whole premise of the show you guys fucking people as soon as you meet them? Like, why <laughs> yeah. is it shocking? I know. I'm surprised you didn't go home with Keith the first night. <laughs> isn't it sad that Miranda doesn't get fucked? This no one has. Well, Samantha has sex. Yeah, Samantha has sex. Anyway, so they all meet in the diner scene. This is the uh, Woody Allen thing is so over. And uh, oh, right, because they're talking about Letterman Lou. Yes, Miranda is saying that she thinks she's in love with Letterman Lou because he's the best of both worlds. He's smart, but like he's not hateful and like bitter, right? Yeah, as if there's no psychos in Los Angeles, but whatever. That's when Samantha reveals the fake Fendi bag. That's like $3,000 or 150 And she says that she got the guy's card and he lives somewhere in the valley. Which I will not stand for this valley slander, okay? <laughs> Also, in the previous episode, Carrie went to Warner Brothers, which is in the San Fernando Valley. She knows where it is. Yeah. So then they go to the valley. They get scared by some dogs. Carrie's wearing some sort of fabulous Dolce & Gabbana corset top. I think this era of Carrie Bradshaw really had a big impact on my personal style of just the idea of like wearing an insane corset with a pair of jeans. Yeah. And then after all of that, Carrie decides that she doesn't want a Fendi that's in the back of some car, you know? Which is so weird because she's already worn six of them throughout the last year between season two and three. Yeah, like once you have a lot of real designer shit, it's like who can tell if you buy like some fake shit here and there? Not that I'm saying people should do it. I'm just saying you wouldn't suspect. Would you have gone for the the deal, which was, what was it, eight or ten bags for a thousand? I mean, if I could go back in time, yes, because how amazing would it be to have that now? Do you think people would buy... I'd be selling those bags on Depop. I was just going to say, you just got to get the Fendi emblem and sew it in there and then throw it up on eBay or Depop. Yeah, Gen Z loves that shit. They can't get enough. And then we go to a cocktail scene. I think our first cocktail scene of the episode where it's all four girls carries in the fedora with the Dior rings, which is... That's the fashion highlight. Well, that and the Playboy Mansion scene, which we'll get to in a bit. But I think that's the most noteworthy outfit in maybe all of the LA episodes to me. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. And then that's where Charlotte says that her marriage is a fake Fendi. So going back to the writer's room, do you think they came up with the fake Fendi storyline and then charlotte's line or they were like oh it'd be funny in our sex in the city lingo to say charlotte's marriage is like a fake bag hmm how do we tie that in together i mean i wouldn't be surprised either way um, you've never had sex they've never had you've sex. never had sex kim Cattrall is just chef's kiss honestly so good so funny and then letterman lou has infected miranda so she's like you know it hasn't been that long but he's never in your they've never had sex <laughs> What would your advice be if I rushed into a marriage (laughs) and then revealed to you two months later that we've never had sex and he potentially cannot get it up? I think the biggest problem is that he's not offering up anything else. It's like, okay, I'm impotent. I can't like go down on you. Like, what's that about? You know how like women that are like with guys with micro penises like report like 
higher levels of sexual satisfaction. Theoretically, Charlotte should have been like one of those girls, you know? You throw this statistic around so often. As much <laughs> Do as, I? As much as I quote Goodfellas, you throw around this micro penis thing. Although I was it's true, though. Well, the original storyline for Trey was they were going to just make him super fucking boring. And then they cast Kyle McLaughlin. And they're like, oh, he's the most charismatic person ever. We can't. And they had to come up with a new storyline. So they made it that he has erectile dysfunction issues. Yeah. There's really no cunnilingus representation in Sex in the City. There's a lot of like Samantha blowing guys, but I don't think we ever see a guy go down on one of the main characters. I think oh, we only did with Miranda and, and the, the guy, mar- marathon guy. Well, yeah. th- that's analingus. And the. Well, before it was analingus, it was cunnilingus, right? <laughs> Like you don't just don't go straight to analingus. Maybe he was like waxing. Straight- <laughs> Maybe he was waxing her asshole. <laughs> he was like, get on. No, no, no. <laughs> there was the there was the guy who couldn't find the clip. Right. And she's like, you know where the clit is? And he's like, yeah. She goes, it's about two inches from where you think it is. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. So yeah, then Miranda goes on the date with Lou. Uh huh. And we find out what Lou's fatal flaw is, which is bulimia. Is it bulimia? If, He'll call it his fatal flaw. That's ableist. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just meant as the as the perfect guy. He's perfect in every ex- respect, except he doesn't. Except for he has like an eating disorder that no one has, which is just chewing food and spitting it into napkins. Like, is that like a thing? It's such a highly specific thing that would happen to no one that one of the writers, because they all come from the sitcom world in LA. There had to be someone in the writer's room that had that affliction or whatever that is. Yeah. Except for they worked on The Tonight Show and not Letterman or something, you know. That end scene on Miranda's reaction, where he's like, God damn it, now I'm not even hungry. Uh, The punchline to the scene is her just eating that steak and just staring at him and continuing to cut. Yeah, it's so funny. And then Carrie goes to Keith's home and they're in a hot tub. Yeah, she is correct. That is the one thing LA has that New York doesn't, which is plenty of hot tubs. Hot tubs, pools. Views. Yeah, all of it. So she has sex with Vince Vaughn, uh, who isn't playing himself, whatever his character's name is, representing Matt Damon, is what I'm going to call him. Keith Travers. But she also blames her Brazilian wax for fucking him. It's like, again, the whole series is predicated with the fact that you fuck people all the time. (laughs) You have a boyfriend a week. Anyway. I know, it's true. And she's like, blame (laughs) it on Rio. It's like, no, you're just a whore. (laughs) (laughs) This is not slut shaming. We mean this in the most ethical, fourth wave oh, feminism yeah, I mean, way I mean, possible. Or in a really sex positive way. They wake up the next morning. Not enough contemporary shows do this anymore, which is the set them up and then, you know, take them down a couple of pegs, which is, of course, everyone has to have a flaw in these episodes. And Keith's flaw is that he's actually a personal assistant, which as a former personal assistant to an a- actress. <laughs> an actress may be even crazier than Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Who will remain nameless. Uh, um, but yeah, it's Carrie Fisher's home, actually. Honestly, he could have led with that. If he was just like, come into the premiere, what do you do? I'm Carrie Fisher's assistant. I don't think she would have been like this poor, ugly loser. She would have been like, dope. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's not the lie, it's the cover up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's like dream job. 
Or I guess he's, oh yeah, because she goes, you're a house sitter. And he goes, not house sitter, I'm a personal assistant. But somehow he's a personal assistant for Carrie Fisher, Ben Affleck. This is quite the roster that he's <laughs> actually a personal assistant for. Well, also, and personal assistants can make very good money. Also, oh, yeah. that's not even like a poor person's job. Not to be classist. Not, We're to, pre- not to be classist. <laughs> no, there are plenty of people who make six figures being yeah. personal assistants. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's worth it with the like mental work and torture that goes into being a personal assistant to a high-profile celebrity. But again, it's one of those things that they probably did because Carrie to Carrie. I'm Carrie, you're, you're Carrie. Carrie. I'm I'm a writer, you're a writer. I have a child, I can't do this. Which, by the way, <laughs> so good. As if <laughs> I have a child is genius. As if Billy Lord had not has not witnessed worse growing up in Carrie Fisher's home. Yeah. And again, mean that in the best way possible. Love Carrie Fisher. Miss her dearly. No, it's true. Like in actuality, Courtney Love would have been like passed out in the hot tub when they got yeah. home. Do you think in the world of Sex and the City that Carrie Fisher would know of Carrie Bradshaw and her column? Because I feel like yes. I'm still confused about Carrie's fame level because we know that she's an it girl and a girl about town. But then in that episode where they go to Smith Jared's play, play, everyone's like, Carrie, Carrie. It's not really like that for it girls. It's only really like that for Alexa Chung. No, well, I don't even know about Alexa Chung, but I don't even think it's like that for Alexa Chung. I don't know. It's that scene makes you think like, oh, is she more famous than I've been assuming this whole time? Like, I get that she's on buses and I get that. I don't know. Think about like a Lee Lazark in 2013 at a party, a BFA photographer yeah would be going crazy for her. Anyway, I don't know. I can't. Obviously, the equivalent is Candace Bushnell. Yes. But Candace Bushnell's fame level was bumped up so severely when Sex and the City became a television show and film franchise that it's kind of hard to place her now. I was going to say, what if Carrie Bradshaw wasn't Carrie Bradshaw? Would she be on The Real Housewives of New York? I mean, yeah. I'm surprised that Candace hasn't been on, honestly. I mean, She's a friend of. She's a friend of the, the Housewives. She certainly doesn't have to go on it. Like, because it's not like, I think for some people, they need to. She definitely doesn't need to. Well, the whole premise of the housewives are rich people or pseudo rich people who want the thing that money can't buy, which is fame or like a some modicum of fame. Yeah, well, she already has that. I mean, she's like, she's the OG, but she is friends with a lot of them. It's like she hangs out with Countess Luann like all the time. And Dorinda, who allegedly Susan Sharon is based on Dorinda Medley. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You don't want... So to back this up, Susan Sharon, for listeners who may not remember... This deep cut. (laughs) This one character that was on one episode. Two, from two episodes from season two, is the cashmere saleswoman or wholesaler Susan Sharon from the episode where uh, Carrie goes with Susan Sharon, goes back to her apartment because Susan Sharon has like a cashmere uh, pashmina for her, and then the husband comes home and yells at her. And then Susan and Sharon calls to apologize. And she's like, should I leave my husband? And Carrie's like, yeah, sure. And then it's like, fuck, why did I say that? No, you never say that. Susan Sharon is a real character in the Sex and the City novel collection of essays that are based on Candace Bushnell's column. So yes, people have correlated that that character is based on her. And if you're a Housewives fan, which Chelsea's too overwhelmed at this point to get into the franchise, but if you remember that clip where Dorinda... Well, I'm too late to the party. It's like, how can you get into it now? Where do I start now? Yes, but the scene where Dorinda goes, how am I doing? Not well, bitch. She's talking to Candace yeah. in that scene. <laughs> anyway... 
I forget that the episode ends with the Playboy Mansion. I thought it's like the Playboy Mansion and then the Letterman Lou and the Carrie, Carrie Fisher thing, but it's... No, it's like when they're ejected from the party at the Playboy Mansion, that's like their ejection from LA, basically. It's like they can't stay there at that point. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So they go to the Playboy Mansion. All of these women look incredible. This is one of the best. I mean, there's incredible individual looks like Carrie's caftan with the bikini. Charlotte looks incredible. It's an amazing group outfit. It's a look. It's actually the only time I think we ever saw Carrie in a caftan on Sex in the City. Much to your chagrin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It keeps me up at night. But, you know, at least when it happened, it was fabulous. Well, there's always in just like that. Yeah. Plenty of Gucci caftans for Carrie to be put in. So Charlotte meets some guy that wants to buy her new tits. I love the continued thing throughout both episodes of guys just being like, it's so great to have an intelligent conversation with a woman who I guess is also attractive. Well, that's another misconception about LA. I don't think that everyone here is dumb as a bag of rocks either. No, but I have witnessed men's faces change when I've made a joke and they genuinely laugh and it's as if I've done a fucking magic trick in front of them. It's like you're um, that dog that was on Oprah that only has two back legs and like learned to walk like a human. Okay, I don't think it's like that. (laughs) But I've had many a men just be like, oh my God, you're actually funny. You know, when it's they- like, you have tits and you can make me laugh. Holy fucking shit. What is this? <laughs> what is this dog walking like a human? <laughs> Samantha, they never explain. It's like, Samantha, where did you put your bag down where it could get stolen? <laughs> it's a baguette. It's literally meant to be shaped around your shoulder. How did it disappear? Yeah. Have you ever had your bag stolen somewhere? No. Me either. Because we fucking lived in New York and learned don't ever (laughs) leave it anywhere. Yeah. Did your parents warn you about pickpocketers? Yeah. I mean, isn't that just what they do? They're always like, when you're on the subway. Yeah. But I always felt like, wouldn't I feel someone literally... Because when, when we lived in New York, it was all about the boho bag. And I was always like, a pickpocketer would have to go so deep. Oh, you mean a hobo bag? <laughs> oh, a hobo bag? <laughs> Is it a boho bag? A boho bag. I'm like, I had so many like images of like macrame free people bags in my head just now. I just, it was very, very upsetting. Uh, this is... An aside, but whatever. I don't care. I'm this whole it. episode is an aside. Like, yeah, nothing is actually about <laughs> what we should be talking about. That's okay. It's fine. But the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills premiere. There's a whole thing where one of the women Dorit's because it's, they filmed it during COVID is like I'm gonna have everyone over for a barbecue, but it's not a barbecue. It's catered, and this character Sutton walks in in a beaded like flapper dress, and one of them I forget who goes so boho. I think it's Lisa Renna, and I'm like motherfucker, that's not boho. She looks like Roxy Hart walking in. What are you talking about, <laughs> bitch? Get your references straight. <sighs> So this is obviously a fucking hilarious scene. Actually, this was when we did the event at the Standard. We actually named the event That Bunny Stole Stole My my bag. Bag after this iconic line of dialogue. So Samantha loses her purse. She becomes convinced that one of Hugh Hefner's twin girlfriends has stolen it because she sees her carrying it. And just like that, this woman's acting, oh my God. What, the bunny? Yeah, the bunny is like, that's my bag. Um, no, it's not. That felt real. I, I know you're being sarcastic, but really? that, it was that, good acting. Seriously? 
I don't know. She was like, I don't think so. I was like, this is crazy when I was rewatching it. So as it turns out, the bunny actually has the real Fendi bag and uh, Samantha's fake Fendi bag has actually been stolen by some non-bunny perpetrator. Which if you've read any of the autobiographies from the Girls Next Door girlfriends, there's no way that Hugh Hefner bought her a $3,000 bag. I don't believe it. Yeah, they get ejected from the party. But not before they go to the grotto and Miranda utters the iconic line. It's time to go home. They leave the Playboy Mansion. It cuts to them checking out of the standard the next day. She's lighting a cigarette in the lobby and they're like, you can't smoke here. And she's like, we're going, we're going, whatever. No one's, okay, you can't smoke in, you can smoke indoors anywhere at that time. In the late 90s, yeah, you could Like in a bar, but not like in a hotel lobby. Girl, get it together. Do you think in Just Like That, Carrie's going to be vaping or she's still a non-smoker? What would be realistic is she fucks some random young guy that she has no intention of staying with for any extended period of time, and he vapes. And she's like, ooh, what's that blueberry vape? Justin Thoreau? Yeah. Trying to will this into existence. Also, Carrie- Honestly, it should just be Pete Davidson (laughs) playing himself. Oh, my God. So her plain outfit is a jumpsuit with a fanny pack, which I assume she's just not going to pee for eight hours. What a nightmare it would be to have to take. I realized I was like, oh, I don't really have any jumpsuits in my closet anymore. And I realized it's because if you wear them out, you basically have to take the entire thing off to pee. Yeah, it's like wearing a wetsuit. It's freakish. (laughs) And I just am trying to imagine being in a plain bathroom and having to take your jumpsuit off to pee. Well, she's smart with the fanny pack, though, because then you can have your passport, all that, your boarding pass, all that shit, like, right there. So then she gets back to her apartment where she can finally smoke without judgment. How bad must Carrie's actual apartment smell? I know. It's so horrifying thinking about, like, having smoked cigarettes for as long as I did and, like, how disgusting my clothes probably smelled. As a non-smoker who comes from two smokers, like, I have to admit, smoking looks cool. Can we just... No, it does look cool. It looks cool. It's just, like, it smells gross, and it kills you. But so does a lot of things, so who really cares? And we're all going to (laughs) die. Some people are just dying sooner of lung-related diseases. In conclusion, there's no way that one of Carrie's books, whether it was the collection of articles that became Sex and the City, right? That's what it was called. Her first book, right? Yeah, her first book wasn't Candace's book, which was ripped from the headlines, (laughs) sort of fiction about her life. And then in the film, they show her books, one of which is Manhattan? Manhattan. 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 It's a pun, hun. I know, I keep fucking it's honey, honey. But there's no way that in the reality of the Sex and the City world that they didn't attempt to make like a WB pilot or some sort of movie based on her life or her novels. Yeah, I think that that always seems like a good idea. Certainly what comes to mind for me is Scream 3 or the final season of The L Word. This also happened. And it's it's never actually a good idea. When they try to force a movie narrative. Yeah, and then they do the whole thing where it's like they show the cast and it's it's I've yet to see it really land. Cut to that's the whole direction of the narrative and, and just like, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, they can finally cast Natasha Leone as Carrie. It would work. Yeah. Even now it yeah, would work. Yeah, even now she'd be like, wow. Ah. She's still cook curly. All right, guys. Maybe next time we attempt to do this, we won't 
<laughs> engage in bottomless mimosas before we <laughs> yeah, record. Yeah, exactly. We've learned our lesson, but thank you for, for sticking with us through, through this wild ride. And we'll be back next week with a, with a of-the-moment topical. A normal episode. Yeah. All right. We love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye.